This message is the first in a short series called God Has Spoken, which chronicles the story of the Bible from Genesis right through to Revelation and explores what that story means for our lives here all these years later. So thanks for joining us for this episode, which was recorded at Trinity Church here in Palmerston North on the 14th of November, 2021. Alrighty, to a little bit of preaching. I'm starting a, a little series. Not quite sure how long it'll go for. I don't want it to go for too long. It's a, it's a pre-Christmas series, but who knows? It might just spill over a little bit. We'll see how we go. And uh, just sitting there, I decided that it's entitled, uh, God Has Spoken. God Has Spoken. And our starting place, if this my little clicker will work, perhaps you could get me on the first slide, uh, and then we'll be good to roll. Okay, Hebrews 1. 1 to 2 is our starting place today. And the writer of Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. That is so good. I want to say all that again. In the past, this is now a writer writing in the New Testament church after Jesus has come and died, raised again and left the church with this mission um, to go into the world and to bring some good news. And so he's talking, looking to see what God has done and the ways that God has spoken. And he says, in, this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. And so God has spoken in many ways over the years. He speaks through creation. When I see a beautiful sunrise or a sunset or a lovely scene, I think about this is the God who created this stuff. He speaks through creation. He spoke in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and today through prophets, people who speak the word of the Lord. He speaks through things like dreams and visions. He speaks in all sorts of ways to us. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us that the most perfect and beautiful way that God has ever spoken to us and ever will speak to us is through his son. And God has spoken to us through his son. And all of these things, we find so much of these things are recorded in the book that we call the Bible. It's an inspired book. And so I want to be talking over a few weeks with this, with this short series that God has spoken and looking at how God has spoken through his word and looking at his story. So firstly, this is an inspired book. The Bible is an inspired book. Even back in the early days of the church, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, all scripture is God-breathed. The, the, the scripture itself is God-breathed. It's something that God has not only spoken, but he's breathed his life into. And for that reason, it is of great value to us in every way. And when we read the Bible, we see God acting in history. When we read the Bible, we look ahead and see what is to come. When we read the Bible, we have a greater understanding of God's character and his nature. And we understand more what his purpose is for our lives. It encourages us, it comforts us, it exhorts us, and it informs us about both spiritual and practical matters. 
it is something that is so useful for our lives. And I, I thank God that we have these scriptures, God-inspired, God-breathed scriptures to help us in every aspect of our lives. So thankful. So I'm going to spend a few weeks talking about the story of the Bible because I believe that there's something about understanding the story of the Bible that really helps us in our journey as disciples, helps us to understand what our faith is all about. So just, just before I begin, because today we're starting in Genesis and we're going to end up um, the series in Revelation. Uh, but just a, before we start, just a few brief thoughts about how the Bible got here, because it didn't just drop out of the sky. It's kind of like sometimes we can almost imagine, not exactly, but we kind of imagine maybe on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, um, when the Holy Spirit comes on the early church to empower them for ministry. It's almost like the Bible dropped out of the sky, the inspired Word of God, and they just thought, oh, well, this is marvelous. This will really help us. But it didn't kind of happen like that. It happened over a period of time. It's, it's the gathered writings of people over many, many years. People, some people recorded historical events. They shared stories. They spoke the word of the Lord. They wrote letters. And, and people, and in particular in, in the last couple of thousand years, the church has gathered these things together, has determined over a process of time which of these writings is inspired and should really belong in the canon of Scripture. And they've gathered all of these things together. All of, those, all of the writings that were accepted uh, as inspired, were eventually put in this book that we call the Bible. Uh, by the time Jesus came, the Old Testament was essentially written, uh, starting with creation, recording the history of Israel, as well as the words of the prophets. The New Testament writers recorded the life and times of Jesus, the activities of the early church, gathers a number of letters written by early Christian leaders, and finishes with a rather mysterious offering called the book of Revelation. Uh, and what books should be included in the canon of Scripture was a topic of debate uh, over a period of time. It was fairly settled, fairly settled by the end of the second century. And uh, by the end of the fourth century, it was pretty much the Bible that we read today. Uh, there was a kind of a, there was some debate about some things as time went by. Even, even after the second, third, fourth centuries when things were fairly settled, there was some debate, especially around the time of the Reformation, uh, 16th century. Uh, you know, Martin Luther, uh, he was disturbed at uh, some of the things that he, that he saw within the church that he knew, the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And so he wanted to bring some change. It ended up breaking away and forming this, the, the kind of the Protestant movement. And so there was debate both within the Roman Catholic Church and in this new Protestant movement about what should be involved in the canon of Scripture. And at that time, the Protestant Church dropped out the apocryphal books, which had always had perhaps a little bit of a question mark on them, because the apocryphal books of the Old Testament. They were, they were not in the Hebrew Bible, but they were in the Greek version of the Old Testament, because they're Old Testament books. Uh, and so people often regard them as really helpful books to read, but there's debate over whether they should be in the canon of Scripture. So in most Protestant churches, the apocryphal books have been dropped out, but the Catholic Church chose to keep them. Martin Luther also tried to get rid of some of the New Testament books. Now, if you're a good reformer, um, sorry for sharing this and standing on your toes, but Martin, Martin Luther wanted to get rid of some of the books of the New Testament, which I think is a little bit naughty, really, uh, because he'd come into this. It was a curious thing that happens, and it just shows how we can be so driven by 
by, by our own experience. But he was living in this environment within the Roman Catholic Church where essentially they were having to sort of pay, pay God for favors, really, pay God to get out of purgatory and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and he felt like this was so works-based, he reacted against it. Also, he was, he was riddled with guilt, really, in so many different ways. And he was struggling with this whole thing of condemnation and sin all the time. And he came across this revelation in Paul's writings about being justified by faith. And he was so excited that, that it's by grace that we've been saved and it's not by works lest any man should boast. So he got a hold of that. But he kind of it was so much in reaction to what he had, was coming out of that he wanted to kind of get all the scriptures about works out of the Bible, basically. He didn't want those things. So he didn't like James because James says without faith, without faith without works is dead. And Martin Luther says, no, we can't have that. So he wanted to get rid of James. He wanted to get rid of Hebrews. He wanted to get rid of Jude. And he had severe doubts about the book of Revelation. But some, you know, as time went on, uh, they remained in our New Testament, for which I'm very glad, uh, because they bring a very good balance uh, to the whole counsel of God. So that's kind of how it happened. The so, so all of the different branches of the church, whether it's Roman Catholic, the Eastern Church, or the Protestant Church, all very much agreed on what should be in the New Testament. The Old Testament, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Church, and the Protestant Church all have slightly different versions of the Old Testament, basically around which of the apocryphal books should be included. So that's just, you know, that's just some minor tweaks uh, between the different streams uh, of the church around the world. And so to the story it tells. And like any good story, you should start at the beginning. So we're starting at the beginning of Genesis. The first five books of the Bible um, are called the Pentateuch. Um, tradition says they were written by Moses, but most likely they were a, a number of different writers contributed to the first five books of the Bible. And the first five books of the Bible chronicle the story from creation through to the nation of Israel having developed and standing right on the edge of the promised land and entering into that. They're right on the edge of it. They're ready to cross over the River Jordan. And that's the story of the Pentateuch. So we're going to have a little look into creation and just going to look today at just the first few chapters uh, of the Old Testament. So in the beginning, we see God creating. God created. The story of Genesis is that God created everything that there is. And he said it was good. And he created people. And he said, this is very good. Scripture on the screen, Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So we start with this revelation as God, as the creator. Now, people debate exactly when that happened and how that happened. And you, you can knock yourselves out with that debate if you want to. But for me, I just enjoy the fact that we see that God is our creator. And we see that in creation, God loves beauty and he loves diversity. And he stuck it all in creation. However you think that worked out, you can help yourself on that one. But the truth that I take out of it is just that God has created everything. It's beautiful, it's diverse, and it's very good. But then early on in the story, we see the tragedy of sin. 
We see people believing that God was withholding something good from them, where they, they had very little in the way of boundaries of things they weren't able to do. There was only one really. And they just felt like somehow God was withholding something good from them and they couldn't seem to resist that temptation from crossing over the line and grabbing something that they thought God was withholding. A bad move. And they reached out and they thought that somehow their choice would make life better for them. They thought that grabbing what was forbidden would make their lives better. They thought somehow their lives would be enriched. They would be wiser and they'd be smarter and life would be better in every way. But the fact is that it wasn't. They were sadly mistaken in that. And it set in train a pandemic of selfishness and violence that began to fill the earth. It started small. It was like the virus in Wuhan. You read the reports in January 2020. Oh, some people getting sick in China. I wonder if that'll spread very far. Oh, probably not. It'll just be like a little localized thing in China. And it was only a fairly short time that the virus had spread all around the world. And sin kind of started like that. It kind of started small and it kind of just spread through the human race. And there was a pandemic of selfishness and violence, and, uh, uh, which has infected the world. So that's the early story, that God created everything that there is. But the story of the fall really also helps me to understand something about the way the world is now. Because we see this beautiful world that we live in, but we also see it marred and despoiled in so many ways. And we see so much pain and brokenness and suffering and grief. And we see so many things going wrong. And the story of the first few chapters of Genesis helps me to understand the contradictions in the world that we see. A beautiful world that God has made and yet so much darkness. And the story of Genesis helps me to make sense of that. I know a lot of times people say, well, you know, if God was good, why is there so much bad things happening in the world? And so maybe God doesn't even exist or maybe God's not good. But what I see in the first pages of the Bible, that God is good. Everything he made was good. He loves things that are beautiful and diverse. And that's how he made things to be. But because of man stepping and grabbing a hold of things that, that were not good for them, it's kind of brought this pandemic of sin and darkness into the world. And it only, you only get to about Genesis 6. And things have got pretty darn bad by the time you get to Genesis 6. What a contrast from Genesis 1, which says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And you get to Genesis 6, 5 and you read the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 6.11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. So things were going downhill fast. The thing that encourages me inside of that story, which, is not a, which doesn't make for good reading, is that there were always people, even in the middle of that darkness, in, even in the middle of that decline, even in the middle of that fall, there were people who walked with God and there were people who were just doing their best to connect with God and walk with him. Guys like Enoch. You've got to love Enoch. He just pops up. Don't read too much about him in the Old Testament. But there was Enoch. And we read in Genesis 5.24 that Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. 
I find that really encouraging that in the middle of a world that was becoming dark and chaotic and filled with violence, there were people who could still walk with God in the middle of that environment. Noah was another. Genesis 6-9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now, these guys, they didn't have a Bible. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus hadn't come. They didn't seem to have any mentors. There was no church. They were just living in this environment that was going downhill fast, and yet God gave them grace to walk with God inside of that environment. I find that really encouraging because I think if people can walk with God in that environment, then what's stopping us? What is stopping us? We have every advantage. We have the Word of God. We have Christ who mediates between God and man. We have the Holy Spirit who fills our lives to give us wisdom and strength. We have people around us to encourage us and pray for us and cheer us on. We have every advantage in that sense. And I think, man, if guys like Enoch and Noah can walk with God inside of that environment of declining uh, standards and violence and corruption and darkness, if they can walk with God, then surely we can inside of our environment. That should be absolutely a cinch to be able to do that. Uh, the story carries on in Genesis. Find that a flood uh, wiped out all of the corruption and violence and that through Noah, God made uh, a new start. Of course, there's debate around the flood, just like there's debate about a creation. You know, was it, a, you know, was creation, was the creation story meant to be taken literally, or is it more figurative? And exactly how did that work out? And how long ago was it? Uh, people debate the same kind of things uh, about Noah as well, and about the flood. Was it a local flood? Was it a global flood? Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not really. I wasn't there. Um, and you can have your debates, and so knock yourselves out with those, folks. Uh, knock yourselves out. But, uh, but it tells me something that encourages me. It tells me something that encourages me, because when I read the story, I know something about God, that when he looks at violence, and when he looks at corruption, and when he looks at injustice, it grieves him. It's not the way he's created it to be. And there is a determination in his heart always and through all eternity to put those things right somehow. And as we go through the story of the Bible, we see God working with redemptive power always in those kind of environments. And so I'm encouraged that God um, is, is committed to putting an end to that kind of darkness. And he's also the one who has the capacity to create a new beginning. There's no one else like God who can create a new beginning. And I really appreciate that about God. And the next place we find a new beginning is in the story of Abraham, or he started off being called Abram. He's the next big player in the Bible. He is also someone who lived amongst a bunch of people who were worshipping idols. And it was a fairly dark time. He had no Bible and he had no church. But we find Abram walking with God. We find Abram discovering and walking inside of a relationship with God, inside of that environment. And in Genesis 12, 1 to 7, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So in the middle of, again, a situation that wasn't exactly ideal, 
everyone else around is just worshipping idols, somehow Abram connects with God. And God starts to speak to Abram and say, I'm going to do something new. I'm making a new beginning with you, Abram. I mean, he'd already made a new beginning with Noah, and now we see another new beginning through Abram. And he says, I'm going to make a nation through you. You're going to have offspring all over the place, and you are designed to be blessed, and you are designed to be a blessing. All the peoples on earth, he says, will be blessed through you. Abraham became the father of the nation of Israel, and the promises that God made to him and to his descendants were the foundation upon which that nation was built. But when you come into the New Testament, you find that the story of Abraham was not confined to the Old Testament only. You find that even though Abraham was the biological father of the nation of Israel, he is also the spiritual father of all those who have faith. Just one scripture, because we are hop-skipping and jumping through this story. Galatians 3, 7, understand, Paul says, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, which is all nations will be blessed through you. Interesting the way Paul puts that. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So he's not just the father of the nation of Israel, but he's the father of all who have faith. And Paul says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that we would be included in God's story, that we would be accepted, that we would be wrapped up inside of God's family and God's story, that God has, not, God has gone beyond Abraham and his descendants and now is reaching out to everyone, everywhere throughout the whole world. And he says he foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. And the gospel, as Paul puts it here, is that all nations will be blessed through you. This is good news. And we find that story coming down from Abraham uh, into Christ to the church and out to the world. And the rest of the New Testament incorporates the rest of humanity into that story. So, just to kind of wrap up where we've got to so far. God created everything, and it was good. Sin entered in, and violence and injustice filled the earth. But God was not so easily discouraged. He walked with people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And we find that he is the master of the new beginning. He created a new beginning with Adam and Eve, a new beginning in Noah, a new beginning in Abraham. He created a new beginning in Jesus, and he creates a new beginning for us. He's the master of the new beginning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, that just, you know what that means. It just means anyone. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. And so for any of us, anywhere, when we come to Christ, we discover a new beginning for our lives, a new starting point. That is like we were singing that song. What was the refrain in that last song? 
there uh, was something about, you're the only one who can. That was the, the last line of that song, Grace and the Guns. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. I love that. There's no one else who can create a new beginning, to create a new starting place for us in that way. We would say the old is gone, the old is forgiven, and God makes everything new. I, I just think that's absolutely awesome. And so we have a new beginning. And as we look into the prophetic books of the Bible, we see that God continues to be the master of the new beginning as we look into our future. We see in Revelation stories about a new heaven. We see a story about a new earth. And we see God speaking, Behold, I make all things new. So we see God acting from creation through to new creation, the master of the new beginning. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you are the creator of all life. And we thank you that your creation is good. In your creation, we see that you're a God who loves beauty. And you love diversity. And you've created us inside of this creation to be like caretakers of the planet that you've put us on. We thank you that we see, even in the stories that we've seen so far, that you are committed to eradicating things like corruption and violence and injustice. And even those, those things are still enduring in the world today. We know that one day you are going to make all things new. And we thank you that you are the only one who can. And you are the only one who will. In Jesus' name. Amen.